I normally do not preach by a clock. I normally don't look at my watch. But I have 67 verses to cover this morning. And if I give one minute to each verse, you won't have to worry about the crowd. You'll miss them completely. Okay? This morning we are looking at Genesis, the 24th chapter, the whole chapter. But we will look at it in a specific light. You know, May, April, and June tend to be the months for weddings. And even here in the church, we have the whole month of May booked in, and we've already had weddings so far. As a matter of fact, James is away this weekend because he conducted the wedding for his daughter. So uh, it's a busy time. And during this time, we begin to talk about love and soulmates and Pledges to stay together forever and ever. Other cultures call this pledge and call this American marriages as love marriages. It is when we have individuals going out and searching for the right person. One that they're going to share their entire life with. And as they look for that person, they may find them, they may not. But prior to the 18th century... Uh, marriages were quite different. They were arranged. It was the norm. And a third party, mom and dad, would go out and find your mate, and you would be married to that person. It is still practiced in in South Asia and in Africa and in the Middle East. And I was surprised to learn that when you look at these marriages, only 4% of them end in divorce, compared to America, where over 50% end in divorce. And it sort of uh, developed a cottage industry. We have people now that want to serve as matchmakers. They advertise as eHarmony and J-Dates and Christian Mingle and even for senior, senior people meeting. In our text this morning, we find Abraham searching for a wife for Isaac his, own, his son. He didn't have a lot of these groups and a lot of these resources to go out and find a good Jewish girl for Isaac. His only direction, his only truth that he could go by was the father and the leadership of the father in his life. And as we begin to read in Genesis, the 24th chapter, verse 1, notice the struggle that Abraham finds himself in. Now, Abraham was old well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, and they together swore a vow to seek out this person that God would have for Isaac. Abraham was 140 years old. He had seen God work in his life. Even when he didn't know it, God was moving. God had directed his steps to the right spot in the promised land to place his tent. God had rescued his nephew Lot and saved him from the men of Sodom. And he even gave him a son when Sarah was 100 years old. Throughout these 67 verses, one principle manifests itself. And that principle is that God, God's handwork 
And God works in the shadow of life's decisions. God's hand works in the shadow of life's decisions. We are not always aware of the presence of God or the activity of God in our lives. Abraham had learned that in the circumstances of his life, God revealed his fingerprint. When he was driven to Egypt in the famine, God was there leading and directing. Even when Abraham attempted to deceive the leaders of Egypt in declaring that Sarah was his sister and not his wife, God was there and God was leading. Even when the strangers appeared at his tent's door and he fed them and he heard the message of God and he heard the promises of God, God's fingerprint was on every facet of his life. This morning we come and many of us stand at that decision point. Some of those decisions are large and some of those decisions are very, very small. But the promise from God's word is that he's there. He's working. You may not see him. You may not hear him. But he is maneuvering. He is in there developing his presence. And we see that God works through the direction and the dedication of his people. God works through the dedication of his people. Abraham was all in. Totally sold out. Unquestionably given unto the leadership of God. He believed. And when you read in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, five times it's recorded, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. Abraham moved. He acted upon the direction of God. We see that God works through the dedication of his people who are committed to the promises of God. He works through those who are committed to the promises of God. God had blessed Abraham spiritually and materially. But Abraham wanted to be sure that he had selected the right bride for for Isaac. He trusted the promises of God, even the promise of a people. In Genesis, the 22nd chapter, verse 17. Notice that he says, I will surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. I can hear Abraham now. In his mind and in his spirit, he goes, how in the world is this going to be? And even as he had to wait those years for the birth of Isaac, he had to question the very essence of the message that his descendants were going to be as the stars of the sky. And when you're in this part of the world where the sky is so clear, it fills the entire horizon from one end to the other. It is a cluster of stars. And as Abraham looked into that sky, he had to question what God was all about. He had to question this promise. But Abraham trusted the promises of God. He trusted him in such a way that he was willing to do what God had required because he had to find the right woman. He had to find the right wife for Isaac, one who would follow the one true God. Because most of us have already realized that the spouse, whomever she may be, 
sort of controls this thing. Most of us won't admit it. Most of us will sit back and say, I'm the head of my household. But if she asks you to do something, you better do it. And you better have it done when she asks you to have it done. Jackie does that to me all the time. I may sound like I'm in charge, but she's in charge, okay? And she normally wants me to do it now. And I have a timetable. You know, I have a schedule. I have a calendar. And when she asks me to do something, I'm going, okay, I'll get to it. I'll put it on my list to do, and it'll get her done. That's not what she meant. She meant she wants it done now. And we've all learned that's the right time to do it and go about it. And Abraham knew he had to find the right woman for Isaac because he knew that she would have an influence upon his life. She would turn his head. She would lead him where she wanted him to go. And Abraham was committed to find the woman that would continue to lead him toward God. That would be faithful. That would not lead him off into the false gods of the Canaanites and the Philistines. But would keep him true to his faith. And so Abraham was committed. It is the reason that Abraham was sold out in every way. He wanted, he wanted Isaac to stay in the land. And he knew that he had to keep Isaac with him and send the servant off. Because God had promised him a land. When you read there in Genesis, the 24th chapter, verse 7, he says, God promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. And that is still the conflict in that part of the world today, is it not? When you read the boundaries that God had given unto Israel, it is nowhere close to what Israel occupies today. And Israel is determined to have the land that God had promised unto Abraham, their father. And Abraham knew that he had to keep Isaac with him to stay in the land because if he'd get off into Mesopotamia and if he'd get away from Abraham and he got under the influences of those that were about, he may not return. Abraham was committed to doing and following the will of God. God works through the dedication of his people who are committed to the will of God. Abraham was willing to lose his family. He was willing to stand upon that altar of sacrifice and to take that knife and to raise it in the sky and to plunge it into Isaac. If God so willed, he was committed to the will of God, regardless of the loss, regardless of the pain. In Genesis 22, 1, notice that he responds when God calls him. God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham's response is that one that we all should uh, hold to ourselves. It is, here am I, Lord, here am I. I'm ready to do whatever. I'm ready to hear your word. I'm ready to act upon your word. I'm ready to execute your will in every facet of my life. Even when he was tempted, he was bonded to follow and bound to follow the will of God. Isaac could have found a wife in Canaan. For sure there was someone there 
that he could relate to and that, he, that would understand him and he would understand them. For sure there was a beautiful, talented Canaanite who would be willing to marry Isaac who had great wealth, who had land, who had been blessed by God. But that wasn't what God had planned. Many times we marry for the wrong reason. You know, we ask people when they come together and they say, we want to get married. What's the very first question we ask? Do you love them? Do you love them? And some of us have found out something about love. It's sort of like riding a roller coaster, isn't it? Some days you feel in love. Some days you don't. Some days you love her with all your heart. And some days you'd like to grab her heart. Same way with the guys too, right, ladies? Some days they're as sweet as can be. And the other days, they're like the devil. You know? Saying things, doing things, ignoring things. But we think love is the main ingredient. We as Americans have been sold this bill of good that you got to be in love. Love's the number one ingredient. But as you read scripture, you realize that it's not how much money they have. It's not how good looking they may be because looks will disappear. You know that long hair that used to be down the back with the ponytail and all that? It becomes this, okay? It moves quickly. Looks will change. Wealth can disappear. Personality, you know, personalities change. Potential changes. Compatibility. We need to be compatible with one another. The number one ingredient that Christians ought to look for is what? Do they love Jesus? Is the Spirit of God ruling in their life? Are they committed to Jesus? Are they willing to tell me no so that they can serve Jesus? Are they willing to deny this marriage to serve Jesus? Are they sold out 100% committed to Jesus? If that's the first criteria, if that's the foundation, all these other things are what? Blessings. Blessings. Are you willing to follow the will of God? Notice that God works through the devotion of his servants. Abraham had a mission, but he gave that mission to his servant, his servant who was devoted to him. After the servant had received the message, after it was clear he gathered his supplies, he moved and prepared himself to take this journey of five months, all the way to Mesopotamia, all the way to Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't miss a beat. He got his stuff together and he prepared. He didn't spend a whole lot of time contemplating the mission and contemplating the trip. He didn't do a risk assessment. He didn't go out and buy a trip insurance just in case he got lost or his luggage got stolen. He acted upon the message and the will and the mission that his master had given unto him because he realized that God works through the devotion of his servants who act in the authority of the master, who acts in the authority of the master. The servant lived to please his master. In this particular passage of scripture, 22 times we see the word master. The servant was committed to Abraham. The servant was willing to do whatever the Master, whatever Abraham instructed him to do. 
He acted in the authority. You know, this is an interesting part because most of us have worked for people who have authority. And they have relinquished that authority to certain people. It was always a big deal in the military that if the general would give you the power to sign for him. Now that was fun, okay? Because you could take your pen and on a document you could sign for General Mike Rochelle. And you put your initials, of course, so you know who wrote it. But you could do those things. If the White House would call and one of the chief, if the chief of staff called you from the White House, and he would say, this is the White House, Gen- uh, the president would love for you to do such and such. He's acting in the authority of that particular person. And this servant was acting under the authority of Abraham. He carried with him the portion of his master's wealth. He carried, carried with him the mission that was set before him. If you read the New Testament and you look at the life of Jesus, what does it say? That Jesus came upon those that were overcome with an evil spirit, possessed. And by the authority of heaven, he did what? In the name of the Father, he did what? He cast out those evil spirits. He was able to heal the paralyzed man in the name of the Father. It is as you go through Scripture, you realize that wherever we go in the name of Jesus, we act under his authority. Matthew 28, 18 talks about all authority had been given unto Jesus, and therefore he said unto us, go. Go with that authority. Go in the name of Jesus. Speak in the name of Jesus. Teach in the name of Jesus. Proclaim in the name of Jesus. Because we as earth and, and skin and bones and flesh... It means very little, doesn't it? But it's when the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the the spirit of Jesus is applied, the message is completed in each of us. God works not only through the devotion of his servants who act in the authority of the master, but God works through the devotion of his servants who act after seeking guidance. If you read Genesis, the 24th chapter, verse 12 through 15, you'll see that this servant seeks guidance. And then the servant prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar, that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, I'll water your uh, camels also. Let her be the one you have chosen to to your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You know, this seems like a very simple thing. The servant is seeking guidance and he's saying, God, if the ladies of the town come out to draw water and as they draw water, they will respond by giving me a cup of water or a drink and volunteer to water my camels, then that's the one. Well, that sounds simple. The only problem is a camel drinks anywhere between 20 and 30 gallons of water. Multiply that times the 10 camels that were the gift, let alone the camels that had come with him carrying the other supplies. 
200, 300 gallons of water? That's a whole lot of water to carry. So what she was surrendering to and what she was committing to was not a small task. And for someone to do that, they must have been committed. They must have had that direction to do so. And the servant knew that that direction would come from the fingerprint of God working in this decision-making process. Prayer is that line of spiritual leadership. You know, we get into our prayer life or we leave our prayer life because many times our prayer life is hooked to a situation, is hooked to a crisis, is hooked to a need in our life. Prayer is not a relational conversation that goes on day by day, but it is a request. It is that which is happening in our lives that we feel like we can't solve ourselves, and when we can't solve it ourselves, we have to do what? Yes, we better pray. But God wants us to pray continually, to be in that spirit of prayer. Pray without ceasing. As we drive to school, as we go to work, as we do the functions and the taskings of every day, we ought to be in that spirit of prayer, seeking God's leadership, seeking his direction, seeking his fingerprint in everything that we say and do. Because God works with those who seek that leadership and that direction and that guidance. But notice also, God works through the devotion of his servants who act with confidence. The servant knew how to trust in the leadership of the Lord. He had confidence. The Lord, verse 27, notice where it says, the Lord led me. This was not happenstance. This was not a circumstance that just appeared out of nowhere. It was the leadership of of God. God had directed his steps. God had placed him at that well at that time. God had directed Rebecca to come at that time. God had led them to this place. It was not just a happenstance that they, uh, they met at the well. I'm sure that the servant must have spent many hours in conversation with Abraham and these conversations were reaffirming the leadership of God. And that confidence must have just swelled within him. Second Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 4 through 6 says, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, that not, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competency comes from God. There's a confidence when we know that we're acting by the leadership and the power of God. There's confidence to know that the decision we're making has been prayed over and has been directed by God. There's a confidence that no matter what people may say, no matter what may be happening around me, no matter what the disagreement may be, no matter what parents may say or grandparents may say or presidents may say or senators may say, we have the confidence that God has directed us. The world can talk about styles of living but we know what the word of god has said the world can talk about being compassionate and being tolerant but we know what the word of god says sin is sin 
right is right and wrong is wrong, and in the confidence of God's word, reassured by the Spirit of God, we can boldly proclaim, thus saith the Lord. 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. The only way I can go into the holy of holies, the only way I can stand before all holy, all knowing, all righteous God is that I have to have the confidence that he has invited me in, that he has forgiven me of all my sins, and I stand right before him because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But notice, lastly, God works through our decisions. Rebecca had an important decision to make. The servant had identified her. The message had gotten to her brother and to her mother. And as they listened to the message of the servant, that they wanted Rebecca to go and to become the wife of Isaac, and that she would have to leave her land. She'd have to travel that 500 miles. She would have to endure the hardships of that trip. She would have to marry a man she had never seen before. There was no picture. Okay? There was no picture. There was no video that she could see. She had to act on the commitment and the faith and the testimony of the servant she had to believe the words of the servant. And she had to go and become the wife of a man she had never talked with. They had never been on a date. They had not written a letter to each other. She had to leave her family, her brother, her mother, all the friends. She had to go into a strange land that had strange foods, strange people, strange weather. You know, we're going to find in our life many obstacles and many decisions that we've got to make. And Satan's going to be whispering in our ear that we can wait. Because as you look at this passage of Scripture, you see Rebecca's brother, Laman, whispering, can you stay, can't you stay ten more days? Just wait a little bit. Don't hurry off. We don't want her to leave. You may have a decision in your life and Satan may be whispering in your ear, oh, you can wait. This is not the time to do it. You can prolong this decision and you know that God is directing. You have the confidence that God is directing. You need to act upon that. You need to step out. The question for us this morning is, what is God speaking and saying to you? Tomorrow morning may be a difficult time. You may have decisions to make. You may have to look and do the things that are going to be challenging to you. We may not always understand the outcome. We may never even see the results. But we have to have the assurance that God's hand works in the shadow of every decision we place in his hands. This morning you need to step out. This morning you need to make that decision. This morning you need to make it right with God. You need to proclaim that Jesus is alive in your life and that you're going to follow his leadership. You're going to do that which he has directed you to do in the confidence and in the assurance that he has spoken to you. Shall we pray? Father God, we come this morning. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And we ask that you lead us each step of the way. 
Father, many of us stand at that crossroads. There's decisions that need to be made. There are places that we need to commit to. There are people that we need to love, we need to testify with. There are actions in our lives that we need to step out by faith. We need to trust you. We need to rely upon you. We need to seek your face and that which lies ahead of us. Encourage us this morning as we do that this, this opportunity, as we take this opportunity to be faithful to you. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen.